You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. We pray this message encourages you today. Thanks for listening. I'm honored to uh, to speak on this today is a text that is close to my heart um, in this work, but also in the series and what I'm seeing God do right here in New York through redemption. And so I'm excited to dive into it to give you the quickest recap ever. Um, Peter is writing to a group of believers that have been scattered, probably due to persecution. It wasn't like their work transferred them to the Turkey branch, you know, to the Myasia branch of their uh, their company. It was most mostly due probably to a persecution pushing them out of their homes, out of where they were used to. And even if they did move by choice, it wasn't a, a positive move. They were moving most likely into a hostile uh, place due to their faith. And in chapter one, Peter says that, hey, you guys have been suffering many trials in verse six. Verse seven, your faith has been tested by fire, probably not using that metaphorically, most of them were facing uh, imminent death and some by some very gruesome means. And so he is trying to encourage this group of people. And in the, the second verse, I believe, of, of chapter one, he calls them exiles. Uh, he, you, you guys that are out there, these exiles, I want to talk to you and encourage you and give you some hope. Well, he, wrap, he comes back to that in our text today, second chapter Starting at the 11th verse, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to go in there and turn there with me or turn your Bible on if you're in your Bible app. Uh, if not, we'll have it on the screens. Uh, we're going from verses 11 all the way to 25. And so it's a lengthy text, but I want to read it all up front and then we're going to come back and unpack it together. So you guys ready to go? Yeah. I'm a Bible nerd. I love the Bible. And so I'm sure we will stop along the way, but I'll do my best uh, to get through this in, uh, in only one or two breaths. Here we go. Verse 11, Peter says, dear friends, we're going to come back to that in a second. I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage against your soul. He says, your soul just doesn't wage war. It's not in conflict with God. He says, these sinful desires are at war with your own soul. You need to pay attention to that. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans or the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, which is probably what was happening, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, on the day of visitation. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Verse 15, for it is God's will. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Pay attention. For it is God's will that by doing good, that's, your, that's God's will for you. Go do good. You should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, God's servants. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Verse 18, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to, the ma to your masters, not only, in to, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of such unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Verse 20, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing good and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. 
Verse 21, to this you, you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his footsteps. You ever wonder why God didn't rapture you as soon as you said yes to Jesus? He's got a purpose for you. He left you here to follow in his footsteps, to be an example to the world around you. Verse 22, he committed no sin. He's quoting from Isaiah 53, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds. You have have been healed, received that promise. Verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Today's message is entitled Among Us. Everybody say Among Us. Among us. Let's go to God in prayer and just ask him to be with us today as we dive in. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this precious, beautiful gift of this text we have just read. Lord, we know it's not empty. It's not just words on a page, Lord. It is alive. It is moving. It is breathing. It is able to speak to the closest, most intimate part of our hearts today. And that's what we ask. That's what we want is, Lord, to speak to us. Not just my words to be heard, but yours today. And let us leave this room different than when we came in. We ask it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever said something uh, out of your mouth and you realize that you probably should just kept your mouth shut? Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that, right? Words are already moving out into the atmosphere and you're like, no. Just, yeah, I wish I could have kept my mouth shut. Back, uh, we started our church in 2005. So for 15 years, we were portable. In 2020, God blessed us with the opportunity to purchase a building and renovate it. And we took everything down to the studs. There wasn't a wall left. We renovated the entire thing. And so for about a year, I was in renovation mode. Every wall I saw, I said, can we tear that down? Is this, you know, what's behind this thing? Is this load bearing? Can I get rid of this? Is this car, is this asbestos? Okay, this is over top of that. We're not going to touch that. You know, is this here? Is this permanent? I was in such a mode of like everything was was fixable. Everything was removable. And I remember going to a friend's house. Me and Lori were at a friend's house and we were having dinner. And uh, before dinner came around, you know, you're just sitting around, you're hanging, you're talking before it actually comes out of the oven or is ready to go. And I remember looking around his friend's house and thinking, hey, have you ever thought about tearing this wall down? You really could open this place up. You know what I mean? You could kind of, how about this floor? You like this carpet? I mean, I think hardwood would be, or, or, I, I was just analyzing this, this dude's house. And I remember thinking to myself, bro, you don't live here. Shut your face. Just, you're here for dinner. Eat and go. Like, you know, because I'm like, these cat, you like these cabinets? Are these cabinets? I mean, what do you think about taking these? I think it's all the HDTV my wife, you know, makes me watch or I choose to watch with her. I was just, everything is adjustable. You know what I mean? Every, I think you need an open concept in here. I'm thinking, you know, you could really just you know, up the resale value on this stuff. The apostle Peter is speaking to these people and he's saying, look, foreigners, exiles, I need to remind you, you don't live, this is not your home. And you need to pay attention to the world that's around you and understand this is not the place. You may live here temporarily. You may be staying here temporarily. That's what calls you an exile. But this is not your permanent residence. How many know we got a citizenship somewhere else? 
if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, something happened. It wasn't just a ticket to heaven when you die. Yes, when I'm done on this earth, I get to see my Savior face to face, and I'm looking forward to that moment. But he had a reason to leave me here, and something happened. It transformed me. Instead of just being a human that was here on the earth, no, he made me a son of God. He made you a daughter of God. And now our citizenship is in another place, but we are here for a purpose. And so Peter gives these, a few of these designations. The first is foreigners, para oikos. Oikos is Greek for home. It's the yogurt that John Stamos does. You know what I mean? The oikos. It means home. And para means with or alongside. And so this foreigner's word means you are alongside those who call this world their home. That's who you are. And then the second word, exiles, parapidimos, means a resident alien alongside natives. Epidermis, demos, right? The natives, they are from here. You apera, alongside, you are with this group of people. And so he's saying, you are not a local you are not a local. We were blessed to go uh, visit Hawaii a few years ago. We had some friends that lived there. They let us stay with them. They gave us the car. They fed us. We just had to get there. And I was like, we're getting there. Let's go. We got a chance to visit on Oahu. The North Shore is the coolest place in the world. And they know if you're a local and you're not a local. And the, the people that are not locals, they call kooks. Especially those that want to go surf in Hawaii as a, as a tourist. And uh, there's actually an Instagram channel that I follow. It's called Kook Slams. And it's all these tourists that have rented a surfboard and try to surf the best waves in the world. And it's just video after video of them getting obliterated in the ocean. And it's awesome. You know why? Because I was probably on one of those videos being an idiot, right? We're not locals. You don't know the lay of the land. You don't know where the coral moves and how the surf adjusts. Man, you have to be out there and get it into your bones, and it's got to be second nature for you. And Peter's saying, look, it's not going to be second nature because you're not a local. You're not from here. You are a foreigner. I love what Maya Angelou says. If you struggle with that feeling of not belonging, she says this. She says, you are only free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place, but no place at all. And the price is high. The reward is great. As followers of Jesus, your citizenship got transferred to somewhere else, someplace that's not so physical and easy to see and touch and, and taste and smell. Your citizenship is somewhere else, and everywhere you go on this earth, you're going to feel like, I don't know if I really belong in this place. That's what makes the church so powerful. i got a few chapters in the book about how the church is an outpost of heaven. So something almost magical happens when you come together here because you may not have belonged at work or in your neighborhood or even in your own family, but you come in with a bunch of strangers and we look to the cross of Christ and you feel yourself, man, I feel like I just belong here and I don't know why. Because this is an outpost of heaven. This becomes that place, whether you're in a theater, you're in a school, whether you're in a corner, whether you're in a coffee shop, or you're right here in this building, this is an outpost where you can say, welcome home. This is a temporary outpost of heaven in these moments. But there's some temptations that we have as exiles. How do we respond to that feeling of not, not belonging everywhere and anywhere? How do we respond? There's a few temptations as an exile. Number one is to leave. 
You just feel so uncomfortable. You're like, I just gotta, I gotta get out of here. And, and, and we think it's the people. We think it's the place. We think it's, a, it's the church. We think it's the neighborhood, the job, the, something uh, that, we, uh, that we have to change externally to make that feeling go away. And this is embodied by like, uh, people like monks that leave society and go out and just spend that time with, with God. I, I grew up in, in the church and so uh, there was kind of this, this southern country vibe of this, the, the songs back in the 80s and 90s, uh, and even before that. And uh, my dad used to get up and sing a song in church. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. Anybody remember the, remember the songs? Right? It was a jam. I grew up playing bass in church. And so all I had to do was go. But there was a whole bunch of songs about leaving earth, right? Any day now, I'm out of this place. I remember thinking, you hate it here, don't you? You guys are miserable. And hey, I'm all for, I can't wait for when Christ raptures us out of here and we get to spend eternity. I can't wait for that moment, but I'm here now. And sometimes it makes us even more miserable when I've got my eyes on the horizon. Are we there yet? Sometimes the churches have this mindset of we just need to endure, just get to when the rapture. Everything between here and there doesn't matter. We just need to leave. I can't wait to get out of here. I don't know if that's the right temptation to give into. Another temptation we have as an exile is to rage against, to rage against the culture that we are in, to be a vocal critique, uh, a critic uh, of the world that we are in, of what the world is doing is not proper, it's not biblical. All these things are true. We see this embodied by the people like uh, bullhorn guys. It might be outside of an event. Turn or burn. If that's you in this building, I love you and I thank you for your ministry. But I don't know if that's the right temptation to give into either. It's to be as vocal and it's to be as a, a force to rage against the world. We live in a third temptation as an exile is to fit in. I think it's where most of us fall into that category, to fit in, to learn the lingo, to learn the way the world thinks and what they say and what they do so that we don't look as weird. I just fit into the culture and maybe they'll forget that I'm not a local. Maybe they'll forget and think that I'm just one of them. The apostle says, I, I don't think any of those Temptations are the ones to give into. He actually says, you know what? You're not, you need to be in the world, but not of the world. The temptation we have to give into is to be in it, but not necessarily of it. And find a new way to live as Christ himself lived. And so I think he gives us a, a few things for specifically on how to actually do that, to be in this world, but not of this world. And, and I'll lay out this list this way. How will the world know that we are among them? If they were to ask each other, how do we know these exiles are among us? They, they look like us and they sound like us, but I know they're not us. How will the world know exiles are among them? I'll give you four ways. Number one, first is our ordered desires. Our ordered desires. The apostle says, hey, abstain from these sinful desires which wage against your own soul, wage war against yourself. The world teaches us to give in to every whim, to every desire. If it feels good, do it. Just do it. You do you. Boo. That's what the world says. Go for it. If you like it, if you feel it, go for it. It's what the world has been teaching us. And the apostle says, whoa, 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 whoa. You may feel it, but it may not be the right decision, the right order of your desires. You may actually need to set that aside so that you can be in obedience to Christ and the world we live in. 
John Mark Comer wrote a book called Live No Lies. It was so transformative to me. He has this working up hypothesis. And I think you guys actually did a series on it called The Resistance a few years back. And in it, this working hypothesis said, hey, this is the strategy of the devil to give deceitful ideas that play to your disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. The enemy doesn't really need to work too hard because I'll screw my own life up without his help, right? Anybody know the feeling? You can blame it on Satan, but it's mostly you. All he did was just nudge you along. He sowed a deceitful idea that, that, that played to your disordered desires inside your heart and a society that said, oh, that's perfect. You just go for it. Anything goes around here. You just do, you do your thing. The apostle says, hey, if, if the world's going to know that we're among them, it's first going to be in your, your desires being ordered differently than the world that, that which you live. I read an article recently. It's actually been screwing with me. It says that not every tape measure that you buy from the hardware store is actually correct. Did you know, did you know this? Yeah. Where did, how, nobody told me this. It's in a package. It says Fat Max on it. I'm thinking this is good to go, right? It's on the upper echelon of tape measures. I'm thinking I take the package off and an inch is going to be an inch and two inches is going to be. How is this wrong? And it said it can come out from the manufacturer and not be right. You actually have to line it up to something that you know is true. I'm like, how, how do I know that like an inch is an inch anymore, right? How do I know my studs are 16 on center? Is that, I mean, wait, am I measuring it right now? Is this true? Is this right? I mean, the, everything's a lie. Life is a lie. It's all, you know, but everything just went upside down. See, the world has actually been giving you a measure to build your life on that's not true. Jesus even said it. He says, those who hear my teachings and put them into practice is like building your, your house on the rock. When the wind and waves come, your house will stand. But those who reject my teachings, it's like building your house on sand on a faulty foundation. It's not true. What the world is telling you is going gonna, is gonna to help you and, 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 and push you forward and fulfill your desire for purpose and what true longing and love really looks like. It's not true. We have to take our desires and measure them up against the plumb line of his word. So God, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm feeling. This is what my heart tells me. You push back and tell me where I should, what I should do with that desire. So the apostle says the first way they're going to know that we're among them is by our, our desires being ordered the way scripture tells us to do that. And that's not easy. I don't care if your desires are in the headlines and popular or they're small ones that are secret in your heart that no one will ever know. It is not easy. It is a part of living out this faith faithfully the way God calls us to. It's not easy for any human being. Secondly, how, how are the world going to know we are among them? Second is, is submitted hearts. The apostle says, hey, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. We love to put an asterisk next to that, to that scripture. You don't know my boss, obviously, Apostle Peter. You, you want me to submit to that guy? He's an idiot. I mean, how, how, many, you know, ca how many caveats can we put in there? Yeah, yeah, I'm submitted to all the authorities, except for these people, because they're just, no way. There's no, I mean, you, if you knew him, Jesus, you would understand. He says every human authority, whether it's the emperor, it's the government. And then he speaks into this, uh, the, this situation called slaves and masters. 
Again, I pastor a church, and so I'm doing what your pastor's doing after service. And it was just this past week, someone grabbed me in the lobby and showed me uh, one of their friends friends posted a meme about how the Bible encourages uh, slavery. And it pulled out a verse, it was either this one or the one in Ephesians. And then there was this like cesspool of comments, about 200 of them just beneath it. And this guy was really worried. He's like, how do I combat this? It's an actual verse. What do I say? And maybe you've thought about this or heard this, that the Bible advocates for slavery. And I just want to speak to this as a sub point for a moment before we move further. Uh, the, oh, what, what we need to know is the overall trajectory and the overall um, arc of, of Scripture from beginning to end is about freedom. Freedom from external means and internal ones. The leading thought leaders of the time, like Aristotle and Plato, they actually, you can, you can research this yourself, they actually taught that there were a slave class of people. They were born to be slaves. That's all they were going to be. And that was their purpose on the earth. The writers of Scripture, Old and New Testament, con- consistently shatter that first century paradigm. And 1 Corinthians 7, Paul actually says, if you can earn your freedom, you were created to be free, he says in Galatians. There's an entire book called Philemon or Philemon about a slave gaining his freedom and coming back as a brother. The whole trajectory of scripture is that God created every single human being for freedom. It's who you are in and out. And the more we, we, we grow in his likeness, the more freedom we step into. He actually says it in here. You were created to be, be, be free, but don't let that freedom be an excuse uh, to walk into more slavery. Uh, there's an African-American pastor writer. His name's Esau McCauley, and I heard him on a podcast. And he was uh, speaking with some people about this topic, about scripture and slavery. And he says, a lot of my white brothers and sisters are trying to throw out scripture as if it's advocating for slavery. And and he says, as a black man, he says, that just cut me to the core. Because growing up in the Southern Baptist churches, he says, scripture was the basis for our freedom. How are you going to throw this away The writers are speaking into the social construct that was present at the time. And I think on a long enough timeline, we we would have seen them speaking into that for freedom, but it's even in what we currently have. Even MLK Jr., what, what was he talking about? I have a dream. He was speaking of a promised land that he saw on the other side. It was the actual basis for freedom of all people since it has, has it existed. And so let's talk about this idea of submitted hearts. What does it mean to have a submitted heart? I love what John Bevere says in Honor's Reward, and this applies to all of us. He says, look, obedience deals with our actions while submission deals with our attitude. You can actually do the right thing in the wrong attitude and be wrong, right? Case in point, when I was a teenager, my mom would used to yell at me about picking up my socks off the floor, and I picked them up. But my attitude was a little different. It was like, I got beat a lot as a kid. I just want to say, I had my fair share of whoopings. I was, I was obedient in my action, but I wasn't submitted in my heart, right? There's a difference, you know? So the apostle saying, look, you know how the world's going to know that we are among them as exiles, as citizens from a better country, a better place, a citizen of heaven, is by your heart being submitted, not just in action, but in attitude. 
All authority is from God, but not all authority is godly. It's important to make that distinction. Just because they are authority over you doesn't mean they are always godly. You and I have any authority you come in contact with. It's a coin flip whether they're actually going to live that out or not. And the Western culture that you and I live in teaches us that you're going to have to earn my respect, right? The apostle says, no, 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 for the Lord's sake, we actually need to say, hey, look, I see the authority that's been put on you by God, the value that he's already instilled in you, and so you have my respect up front. That's what it looks like to have a submitted heart. And it's going to be crazy to the world that you and I live in. They're going to say, they're going to look at us and think that we're weird. They're going to look at us and say, how in the world could you do that? You know who they are. And say, no, for the Lord's sake, I walk with a submitted heart to not his authority because I know the one who gave him authority and I know the one who can take his authority. And it ain't the C level of the company. It's a higher level. Amen? It's Jesus himself. And so I'll ask you this. How submitted are you to your boss? How submitted have you been to those that are above you? How submitted are you to your spouse? And I'm not just talking to the ladies. Ephesians 5 says, husbands and wives submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So husbands, how submitted have you been to your wife? I thought it cut out for a second. <laughs> Submitted hearts is how the world knows. Oh, they're different. They're not a local. Because the way they're, they're, they're interacting with those around them is different than, than how we do. So we've got to order our desires. Secondly, we've got to have the submitted heart. Thirdly, how the world's going to know we're among them is tested patience. Tested patience. Recently, we were on our uh, way back from a, a trip and uh, we saw this uh, Panera that we were driving by that had a drive-through. And Paneras in our area don't have a drive-through. So we thought, hey, this is great. You know, it's, let's just whip in there, grab something. It was the longest drive-through I've ever sat in in my life. I mean, I thought I would, I'll never even say the word Panera again. God, if you would just get me out of this place, right? I'll live for you for the rest of my life. Please deliver me from this hellhole. And Lori's like, you got to beep your horn, babe. I'm like, what's that going to do? <laughs> Have you ever had a passenger beep your horn for you, right? Isn't that so, like, violating? You know, like, I didn't do it. It was her. I mean, we're sitting, it had to be 15, 20 minutes, right? It was a long, I'm, and by the time I get to the window, I'm like, huh, give him my car, but I'm like thinking, you guys are pathetic. You know, that's the thought that was on my mind. I'm, but here's the thing. I mean, I can't beat my horn. I can't say anything because in my mind, I see some scenario being played out and lining up all the people in line. I'm like, okay, this guy works in construction. This guy is a, a, a you know, he, he's an IT and this guy's a pastor and he's the one who, you know, beeps his horn. He's the one who loses his stuff. I don't know why this is the way my mind goes. I'm like, I ain't touching it. I ain't touching my horn. I ain't saying nothing. Have you ever heard the old adage, don't pray for patience because God will put you in a situation to test your patience, right? I, I want to let you in on something. It don't matter. God's going to put you in those situations anyway. <laughs> I mean, you can pray for it and just, just welcome it as it comes or you, it's going to happen anyway. It's coming. Because he knows that our, the testing of our patience does something to us, right? It produces perseverance, Romans 7 tells us. And that perseverance it produces a, a discipline and gives us hope. 
The apostle says, look, you have to be a person that has patience, even though regardless of what you're being faced with, whether you're being treated harshly because you did something dumb or it's totally unjust and unfair, let your patience be evident to all. Hebrews 10 tells us, verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And what was the will of God we learned earlier? To do good. When you have done good, the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So how's your patience in traffic? How's your patience with your kids? How's your patience in drive throughs All right, fourthly, finally, how the world know that exiles are living among them is through our honoring words. Honoring words. How do you know when someone has a submitted heart? It comes out of their mouth. You see it in their speech. To honor something is to value, to see weighty, to see it as precious. He uses Jesus' suffering and, and, and the poem, the suffering servant in Isaiah as a backdrop. And he juxtapo juxtaposes these two things over top of each other. And he says, look how Jesus responded when he was being treated harshly. He did not open his mouth. When they were hurling insults at him, he did not. There was no deceit in his mouth and he didn't fire back any threats. The DNA of the kingdom works its way into our lives through our patience, through our hearts being submitted, through our desires being reordered according to God's word. And it, it shows up in how we speak to each other, about each other when each other aren't present. It, it shows up in how we speak to the authority in our lives. It shows up how we speak to people who actually deserve to be talked about just ridiculously. They did mess up. And, we, and the world will look at us and say, why didn't you say what everybody was thinking? Oh, I just have, uh, my, I let my words be honoring before all, before God, before myself. I let that speak uh, those words that I speak come out of my heart, being filtered through the word. I want to close with a, a story about a, a missionary named Samuel Morrison. He spent 25 years in Africa as a missionary, and he was returning back to the United States, and he found himself on the same boat that President Teddy Roosevelt was on. As he's coming back he, he, and arriving at the New York Harbor, he could hear the band playing and he could hear the horns and he could hear the cheers of the crowd and he started to get caught up in the excitement and, and these banners, welcome home uh, banners that he was coming to. And of course, the president is the first to exit the boat and go down the gangway. And, and so he's in line back there and he's got his bags and he can't wait to get, to, to get back home and, and to see the people he loves and to be among people that he was used to being around and his family, his friends. And, and so the president exits and, and then the crowd behind him is entourage. And, and by the time Morrison got to the gangway, uh, the, the welcome committee, the band and, and all the noise and the pomp and circumstance had moved along with the president. And so he's standing there and, and he's thinking to himself, huh, there's nobody, nobody here for me. There was such a crowd, he couldn't even get a cab. He's out there trying to hail a ride and there was no one present to actually help him get to where he was going. And he starts to complain to God. He says, God, I spent 25 years for you trying to see people come to know Jesus and hope restored and pray for the sick and serve those that needed it. I've been giving my life for 25 years. He said, this man returns from a three-week hunting trip and the whole world comes to welcome him. There's nobody here to welcome me home. And he felt the voice of the Holy Spirit respond and say, well, you're not home yet. See, one day when 
either Christ takes us back or our eyes close on this earth, we will finally be home in his presence. But until we get there, we are exiles and foreigners on this land. And maybe you're under the sound of my voice and you don't know this Jesus that we've been talking about. If you never said yes to him, you, you've been you know, contemplating and maybe you're kicking the tires on faith and you're wondering what it's all about. I, I'm not up here to sell you a good, smooth, easy life because then I, I'd be selling you something that's not true. Sometimes it's tough. Anybody agree to that? Sometimes being a follower of Jesus is not the easiest thing. It's not the easiest way. There are a bunch of ways. And Jesus even said, wide is the path to destruction. It's real narrow to find the one about life. It's tough. But it's the only one that gives true life. It's the only one that can truly take our hearts and breathe life and hope into them. So every day from this one to the day we see our Savior face to face, we might be asking God, Lord, I've been pouring myself out. I've, been, I've worked hard. I've been, I served in, in Redemption Kids. God, I mean, you know how hard that is. Especially today. I served in my church. I served in the community. I've been kind. I raised my kids with patience. God, how come I haven't received? I just want to tell you, just from the voice of God, oh, you're not, you're not home yet, y'all. We're still foreigners. We're still exiles. But I want to close with one more thing. There are actually three titles the apostle gives us in verse 11. Foreigners we talked about, exiles we talked about, but before he ever mentions those, he says this phrase, the New, Living, uh, New, New uh, International Version says, dear friends. I think it's, it's a bad translation. It's really the word beloved. And in the Greek, the word beloved has, this, has the word agape in it, agapetos, loved ones. So I want to tell you this. Maybe you're thinking, I need to test my patience. I need to do all the right things. I need to get my desires in order. And, and I need to honor my words. And I need to be submitted. I need to do all these things. And then I'll earn the love of God. No, 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 no. Back up, back up, back up. Before you're a foreigner, before you are called an exile, you're called the beloved by God. This is what grace means. And he gives you all of his love up front, knowing you're going to screw it up, knowing you're going to fail along the way. But he gives you all of it at the start. So maybe you're asking, Pastor Chris, this sounds hard, man. This sounds miserable. How am I going to do this? I know it's tough. But it's by sitting back and soaking up the perfect love of our Heavenly Father. It's only in that. Do we get the strength to be in the world and not be of it? To endure until we are finally home. To persevere the trials that you and I will be facing. To deal with a struggling marriage that feels like it's being pulled apart by the seams. To deal with children, it just don't, uh, it seems to knock, I've tried this and I've followed this TikToker and I've read this book and I just don't know how I'm gonna get through to this next generation. To live as a Christian in your company, to be honest and to be, uh, be everything God's calling you to be in your neighborhood. You wonder, how am I going to do it? Remember, before you're in exile, before you're a foreigner in this place, you are the beloved of the King of Kings, 
the Lord of Lords. His name is Jesus, and he gave his life to show you how much you're worth. You are worth Jesus to the Father. So this morning, I feel it differently in this service and in the last service. I think there's some of us in this room that, that have been trying to live our Christian life through works and through doing all the right things and checking all the right boxes. Could I pause you for a moment? I just encourage you to soak up the perfect love of God who calls you his beloved, and it will empower you to go be sons and daughters in the world. I guess you take a posture of prayer, heads bowed, eyes closed across the room. Online, if you're able to do so, I ask you to do the same thing. I want to speak to two groups of people this morning as the band comes to get ready to close us out. One is a group of people that may not know this Jesus we've been talking about. You may have never said yes to this Jesus, and maybe you've been considering faith all this time, but you've never actually closed the deal. You've never said yes. You've never welcomed him into your heart. I want you to know this moment is that moment. And in a second, we're going to pray across the house. Everybody, I'm going to ask to repeat this prayer together. And so I'm not singling anyone out, but with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would say, Pastor Chris, that's me. I want to know this Jesus. I want to tell you this. One, you're already loved. You are the beloved of God. Two, there's nothing you can do to change that. No sin is too great. No mistake is too powerful enough to change your status with him. If that's you this morning, three, would you just lift your hand high? Nobody looking around. Thank you for those hands. I see them. One, two. Amen. Three. Praise God. Four. Amen. Amen. Five. So cool. Thank you, Jesus. All right, you can put your hands down. Second group of people I want to talk to, maybe you've been distant from the Father. Maybe you've been struggling with that faith. You, maybe, maybe you've just been, you've been in it. You're still saved and you still know him, but you just, you've been going through a hard time. Been struggling with your faith. And I, I feel it again in this service. The temptation to leave the culture as an exile because you don't feel like you fit in or belong. Can I speak to that for a moment? I, I, the enemy has been whispering to, to somebody under the sound of my voice that suicide is the way out of that. And can I just combat that? That's a lie. In Christ, there is hope for today, tomorrow, and every day after. Proverbs says, without vision, people perish. Jesus wants to give you a vision for your life. The enemy wants you to die. So this morning, if you're under the sound of my voice and you just say, hey, Pastor Chris, I, I just want to rededicate myself to him. I want to say I'm back in, I'm re-up and I'm in. Take me where you want me to go. What you say is what I'll do. If that's you this morning, would you just lift your hand up? Nobody's looking around just between you and God saying, hey, I'm in, I'm re-up and thank you. Hands across the place. Amen. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We're in, God. We're in. Take us where you want us to go. All right, look, let, I, I want us to cross the room. Everybody to repeat this prayer, but if you raise your hand that first time, this five hands I believe I saw, I, I want you to connect the words of your mouth with the faith of your heart, okay? And repeat this after me. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross in my place. I admit I am not perfect. I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. So right now, I receive your grace and your mercy and your perfect love. It's come into my heart and make me new.
and be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org or follow us on social media.